you're very welcome to this week's edition of Pricey Talks Real Life. Well, today we're going to talk double Dutch. We're going to think, talk, we're going to think and talk all things Dutch. I suppose when, when most people think about Holland, what would they think about? Dutch cheese, windmills, tulips from Amsterdam, Heineken beer, bicycles cycling around because it's so flat, Rembrandt paintings, uh, beautiful canals in Amsterdam, and maybe walking around with a pair of clogs. That's sort of the first things that come into your head, for, for me anyway, as an Irish person, uh, when I think about all things Dutch. Today we're going to talk to somebody who's lived in Holland for 27 years, 27 years of her life. Her name is Laura Price. She's actually my youngest sister of a large family. You could say that I'm her brother from another mother. So work that one out. Laura's been in Holland. She's a registered nurse working in the largest medical hospital in our medical centre, as it's called there in Holland. And we'll also talk about the cafes, the coffee shops, I should say, that sell soft drugs in Holland and what they're doing during the lockdown. How are they surviving? So today, listen in for our double Dutch episode. You're very welcome to Pricey Talks Real Life. Today's edition, we are talking, we're going Dutch today. That's what we're going to do. So we're talking to Laura Price. Yes, that's it. It's uh, Pricey talking to Pricey today over in Holland. Laura, how are you? I'm very well, John. How are you? You've, yeah, great, great. Thank you. OK, Laura, we're gonna, a couple of things we're going to cover today. Um, you're a nurse and you work in Holland. So we're going to talk about what you do as a nurse. A real life story. Working in Holland, you work for, I think it's the largest medical centre, so the largest hospital, as we'd call it in Ireland, in Holland and possibly even in Europe. Uh, one of, yeah. They do uh, yeah, a I, lot of things there. It's like a little village. It is like a little village. Well, before we get into the hospital and just how the Dutch health system works and COVID-19 over in Holland and just a bit of a comparison to Ireland, maybe, and what's going on at the moment... Uh, you're you, you're talking with an Irish accent, but you've been living in Holland for 27 years. Is that right? <laughs> My parents have indoctrinated me. <laughs> no, um, I was born in Ireland. I have an Irish birth cert and an Irish passport, but uh, I grew up over here. So you grew up. So you never lost the accent. So you, you lived for a couple of months in Ireland and then you went to Holland. You went through the Dutch school system. You went through Dutch university system. And now you're a registered nurse working in, in Holland. Yeah. Well, we get into that in a few minutes. <clears throat> You know that now, I, I've also lived in Holland, as you know, as, as I, I had a couple of stints in Holland. I was in Holland when I was a young lad and I, I can't remember exactly. I was probably eight, nine or ten. And uh, that's where I was first introduced to Holland and learned a bit of Dutch. So what I'd like to say, Laura, maybe we have a little bit of a Dutch conversation just for some of the Dutch listeners out there. But I Oh, no problem. Uh, hello. I'll introduce you in Dutch then just so we'll, we'll cover both sides. So hello, Laura. Hello. Even hartelijk gewenten by Pricey Talks Real Life and that. Lunok Torover. And geniet vandaag nog van onze chat. And a great hello to the Nederlandse luisterers today. Vandaag. Ja? Heel goed. Heel goed. Heel goed. Klinkt goed, ja? Je kan bijna je klompen aanschaffen. Prima. Okay, so that's it for the Dutch that we're going to have for the listeners. But uh, so uh, basically, I, I also learned a bit of Dutch. I, I learned it as a kid, but also when I was a little bit older, maybe 18, 19, 20, I was back in Holland for three years. And you worked in a bakery, I learned, didn't you? I did a couple of things. I played football uh, over there. I worked in a bakery and I learned Dutch. And my Dutch was learned in uh, what they call the Savenschool. 
which is the evening school by the Chamenta, the council. So it was a council evening school. And I learned a course, I don't know if they even have it now, it was Nederlanders for Bouten, Nederlands for Boutenlanders. So that's Dutch for foreigners. I don't even know if they'd have a title of a course like that anymore. Would, uh, would they, they, like they, that they'd have courses, but uh, most of them are now um, kind of aimed at the uh, asylum seekers. Yeah, I was probably classed under as a, as a seeker <laughs> in those days because you needed visas and everything to get into Holland. That was before we, I'm, I'm ancient, but that was before we uh, were in the EU. And, and I also uh, I played football with Sparta Rotterdam. I, I had a trial in the Castile. So didn't make it as a, a massive club, yeah. And it was, it was quite, it was even bigger then in the 80s. And I didn't make it as a Batal footballer, which is a professional footballer, but they sent me over to their academy where um, they, in, in total then they had 10 teams from senior team right through to U teams. And I spent two, two seasons, two seasons with Sparta, which was excellent. And I also worked in a bakery, in a bakery. And uh, that was early morning starts till two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, which was quite good. So, yeah, great memories, great times of Holland. Laura, we're going to talk about you today. It's real life stories. So... You're Irish, you're living in Holland, 27 years of age, and you work in the Erasmus Medical Sicken House, the Eras- Erasmus Medical Centre, is that what we'll call it? Yep, the EMC. Okay. I'm, I'm astounded by the size of the place, first of all, because when we talk about hospitals here in Ireland, probably our biggest hospital would have maybe 3,000 staff, 3,500 staff, if even that. Mm-hmm. I, I know Tala Hospital in Dublin would have 3,000 staff, and then you've got St. James's, and you've got the Matter Hospital. But in, and in Ireland, we have, I think we have a total of 86 hospitals. Do you know how many hospitals there are in Holland? Very good question. Um, I know there are a lot of regional hospitals and even the regional hospitals still do a lot of care. And then you have certain big medical centres like in Leiden or in Rotterdam or in Amsterdam or Utrecht. But how many yeah. hospitals I, Holland actually I has... Well, I googled it before the chat, yeah. and I, I just wanted to verify. They, I know the, the regional, the, like the system is different, and we'll talk about that. But there's five hundred and forty nine hospitals. Yeah, and then that's centers. probably not even including those uh, specialized centres. Probably not. So it, it's it's a big difference compared to the Irish system that we're used to. Um, and you're working in a hospital with 15,000 staff and 2,000 scientists in that hospital because yeah. it's a teaching hospital and a research hospital as well. Yeah. I was fascinated. I looked on the website just to do a bit of research and I was fascinated uh, by some of the research they're doing. There was, there was an article. Did you see the, the article on Feyenoord, the football team, where the hospital is actually testing their football jerseys before and after the matches in the Erasmus Hospital for COVID-19? I'll be very honest. I I have not. <laughs> no, I do. You work at the hospital. You don't no, know. Well, I know. Yeah. I do know. They've been doing research into um, taking plasma from um, previously positive tested people that are now corona free, and uh, that they're taking their plasma and uh, giving that to corona patients to see if, if that'll bring give any outcome. Antibodies, is it? Pla- well, via the plasma. Via the plasma. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, your, your work, first of all, your work in uh, the Erasmus, you're a cardiothoracic nurse, is that correct? Yeah. And so what's involved in that? Well, it's cardio and the cardiothoracic unit. So I have um, your granny who comes in with a bit of fluid retention in her legs uh, all the way up to a new heart transplant. So it's very diverse. Okay. Uh, you can have people that come in and... 
um, are, are just a bit short of breath, but because they're known uh, to have heart failure or whatnot, um, and they're taken a bit more seriously, and they come in, they're treated. You can have people that are coming in for a stent, and then they leave the same day. And you have people that have been there for nearly a year recovering from their heart and transplant. That, and heart transplant, that's a fairly big operation. Would, would you be doing many of those in, in the Erasmus every week um, or every, every month? It kind of depends on what's on offer. Um, because you have a grading system for the heart transplant um, within Europe and worldwide. So it depends on the urgency. Um, if someone has a car crash outside the door now and their donor and their heart lives up to all the uh, credentials it has to, to be transplanted, um, then it goes to the person that has the most priority. That could be in Belgium, that could be in Holland, that could be in... Okay, so it's international. So the heart... Yeah, 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 yeah. And are you only dealing... Are you dealing with international patients there or is it just Dutch patients? Um, Heart transplant-wise, just Dutch because there's a lot of uh, guidelines and rules around... And you're also studying to be an intensive care nurse, is that right? Uh, an ICCU, so uh, intensive care for the heart. That, how long does that take? A year, two years? Uh, yeah, they just recently shortened it down to a year. Two years. So it's if years, even though you're a qualified nurse, it's an additional year's training. Yeah. Now, the, the medical system in Holland, um, I'm always interested in it because here in Ireland, we get a lot of, there's a lot of talk about our healthcare system, about how underfunded it has been, particularly... Yeah. It's become apparent with the COVID system or the, the COVID situation, I should say. Mm-hmm. And in Ireland, we are the only Western European country that has no universal health cover. Every Western European country has that except Ireland. Um, what's the system like in the Netherlands, in Holland? So in Holland, um, everyone pays uh, their health care privately. They pay, the minimum you pay is about 120 euros a month. Um, regardless if you use anything medical wise or not. Um, so it's 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 an it's uh, the system in Holland is that everybody has to pay uh, through your wages. Is it you pay through your wages? No, or? no. Uh, part of it is taken out uh, from your uh, income tax. So the tax you pay, part of that goes to the healthcare system, but you pay privately. So you get you, your wages you and then you have to make sure you pay your uh, your healthcare. In Ireland, we have what we call a two-tier situation because we have private hospitals and we have public hospitals. In Holland, there's only public hospitals. I that find correct? that ridiculous. Why Why should there be a difference in the level of healthcare? Every, every, health, every aspect of healthcare should be the same for everyone. Yeah. There shouldn't it, it, well, be a difference. And, and that's, I suppose the model here is based upon... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's most European countries think like that. The model we have here is really based on the American model, where if you have well, the money, you can pay, yeah. you can skip the queue, it's, you can. I find it go to a public. I I I like it because um, I know then Dad can get his healthcare, but I don't like it because it shouldn't be that way. Everyone should be able to get access to healthcare in a proper way and in a timely manner. So, if let's take an example, if. Um, Somebody, your neighbour there in Holland needed a hip replacement or a knee replacement or something, something was wrong and they yeah. went to their GP. Do they pay a charge to go to their GP? No, it's free. And then the GP okay. refers them to the orthopaedic 
um, if it's a warrant, um, the first thing, the, the initial contact with the orthopaedic surgeon would uh, be free as well. And then based on if it's actually necessary or not, or if it's just um, something the patient wants done, but it's not necessary, you pay or you don't pay. And what do you mean you pay or you don't pay? Well, if you don't, uh, if it's necessary, if, you're, uh, if your knee is absolutely bust and it needs to be replaced, you don't pay for it. But if you want something done for it, um, that isn't necessary, then the charges could be put on you. So elective surgery, you mean? Yeah. The World Health Organization, uh, um, you know, they class health systems as ones that have good financing, adequately paid staff inside, good facilities, good infection control, all of that. And Holland rates very highly for their healthcare system globally. Yeah, they're up there with Canada. I thought I saw an article a few years ago that uh, Canada, the Canadian and the Dutch healthcare system are the best in the world. If we just have a look at what's happening in Holland then at the moment, um, lockdowns, curfews, where where are you guys with COVID-19 at the moment? Uh, well, we're now in an official lockdown. Uh, shops are shut. Um, non-essential businesses are closed. So your pharmacy is open, the hospitals are open and the food shops are open. And restaurants are open for takeout or delivery only. Um, and since yesterday, since last night, actually, they have put in a curfew. So you have to be in by nine o'clock and you're only allowed out by half past four in the morning. But, 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 obviously, the Dutch are very concerned about their pets and their dogs. So if you have a dog on a leash, you can go out after that. But you need a signed form by yourself proving that it's warrant. Proving that you need to take your dog for exactly, a while. Exactly, the dog isn't and, enough and proof. <laughs> So it's it's that sounds that sounds very Irish, but you so you've you've basically you've uh, you've got a curfew in Holland. Now that's something they've been talking about here. I know they've introduced it in France and places yeah. like that. Very hard to police that. Very hard to police that. Yeah. Let's let's look at Holland first of all. Has seventeen and a half million people. Yeah. And the size of Holland is the size of Munster. It's a quarter of the size of the Ireland of Ireland. Of Ireland. So it's it's a tiny space with 17 and a half million people, whereas in Ireland we've 4.9 million people, nearly 5 million people. Uh, you've got people everywhere. It's very hard to ask all of them to stay in. Are they? Did they all? Are they staying in? Um, well, at the start of the whole COVID pandemic uh, last year in March, April, when it kind of hit, started hitting Holland, people weren't really taking it seriously. Um, at this point, people are just so sick and tired of it that they're kind of given in and they're kind of willing to stay in if it'll actually help. So I'm seeing more of a curve now that they, they are more adherence to it. In the beginning, your uh, Prime Minister, Mark, Ru- Mark Rutte, Rutte? Mark Rutte, yeah. Is that his name? Mark Rutte. He w- w- did a bit of a Boris Johnson on it. He said herd immunity was the way to go. Isn't that correct? Yeah, he came back from that fairly lively though. Um, he then put us into an intelligent lockdown. So stay in when you can. If you don't have to go out, don't. But he was leaving it up to us. And the deaths were quite high in the beginning in Holland. Uh, the peak was last year in April. There was about 100, 140 a day. Um, I'm always curious on this because if we look at uh, the... It's, it's such a debatable topic, COVID-19. No doubt it's a virus. No doubt it's out there. In the beginning, ventilators were the problem. ICU beds became the problem then in countries that the healthcare systems would be overrun. 
in Ireland we're very strained at the moment on healthcare. How is the Dutch system? Is that strained at the moment? Well, okay, so the Dutch, um, in Holland you have about 40,000 hospital beds. Of that, on paper, uh, 1150 is our IC beds. Now, because there aren't enough IC staff, uh, the actual amount of beds we usually have is about a thousand. Uh, yeah, so you have a thousand ICU beds. Yeah. Okay. So for the COVID pandemic, uh, there was basically an outpour to people in who have previously worked in healthcare, uh, who were previously intensive care nurses to come back. I know a couple of my friends who, um, or people from around the area, they went into teaching, but they were nurses beforehand, and they've gone back to help out during the pandemic. But uh, they can now upscale the COVID beds, so the COVID IC beds, up to seventeen hundred. They're not under pressure. Um, well, the 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 sick rates have gone up intensely. Like this week on the ward I'm working in, about ten people uh, contracted it. And then, so you're saying you're saying people with heart issues contracted COVID. They can, they can, uh, with underlying issues. But, but you're, you're are you saying risk. that did happen? Are you saying that did happen? So that's what that's what's happening in hospitals. So people in wards that are COVID free can contract COVID. They'd yeah. obviously be moved to a COVID ward then. Would that be right? Uh, depending on their issue, if they need heart monitoring um, and they're not sick enough for the IC, then they'd stay with us because on the COVID unit, they don't have heart monitoring. If somebody with a serious heart problem, so somebody who has... Heart failure or something. I'm, yeah, something. You, you. I'm not that technical in heart, but heart failure. We call it yeah. simply that. It has heart disease. It's not working the way it should. It, <laughs> so if yeah, it's not working the way it should. So they're in in hospital for a serious problem, and if they contact COVID but have no symptoms, yeah, and they die of a heart attack, yeah, what is their death class as? Heart attack. But in yeah, the hospital, yeah. it's it's a bit more tricky than that because they do genuinely look at the situation. And if it was the heart that stopped at that time, it is a heart attack that killed him. Okay. So it's it's genuine cause of death, as you'd call it. Yeah. If that's the case. But in nursing yeah. homes, no, I just want to clarify bit, that because there's a, a lot of information out there about how, you know, how they're being recorded. So it's genuine in, 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 in the Dutch case, That's which is very good. I noticed on the, on the Dutch website, the Dutch government website, yeah. um, they give a very good breakdown of figures of, of people that have COVID, that are recovering, that are the re- reproduction rate. And one thing I noticed is the reproduction rate is under one. It's 0.98. So that's not, they're, they're saying one is the magic number, you know, to keep it under one. So yeah. the rate seems to be um, lowish in Holland, under one. It was shuffled around which, for a bit, though. Yeah, we were up at, God God knows, two or three here or whatever. Could have been, could have been even higher. Like, <laughs> class is the worst in the world at one stage for COVID. Um, I but I also get text messages from colleagues saying, oh, are your family all right? They're all dropping like flies over in Ireland. <laughs> Yeah, we're all we're all finished over here. Okay, so look, if we look at a, cu- a couple of things there, elderly care in Holland. Yeah. And you know, this this is people talk about COVID-19, people talk about the vulnerable. And a lot of people who seem to be vulnerable have underlying conditions and in particular the elderly people. So in different countries, you've different ages, I suppose, 70 plus. Uh you could be talking about people going into care homes. What's the system like in Holland for care homes? It's based on on the needs of of the people of the people, power to the people, 
No, um, it's based on on what that patient needs, and you have different you have different uh, kind of care forms, and if you need a certain care, but there's no room in your own area, then they will place you somewhere else away from your family. And then your family will but just you get, travel. You get an apartment. What I'm, I suppose what I'm trying to get to is you get an apartment. It's like living in an apartment block. Basically. And you have a nurse and you have facilities. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not like the care home systems we'd know in Ireland. Where you only have where a bedroom and a shared living room. Exactly. No, no, no. Is no. It, that's what I'm... You have certain, what is it like in Holland? You have certain facilities that are like that for people that need that social interaction and need that social care. Um, but mo- mostly you have your own bedroom, your own living room, your own little kitchen and your own bathroom. So if you have family coming over, there's no need for you to be in with someone else chatting away. But then you do have yeah. these communal areas where you can choose to have dinner all together. But you yeah. can also choose so, to get your own messages in and cook your own bit of rope. So when you had COVID, Laura, what were your symptoms and uh, what what was your experience? Uh, well, I started off with just a bit. I, I was out on the bike and I was absolutely drenched. So I thought a bit of a sore throat will be from being uh, soaked on the bike. But I started coughing a bit and so I got tested, went home uh, to await the results. And I was positive. First day I thought, OK, got, I'm, I'm quite OK. I'm not feeling too much. Then um, it was like a really bad cold. All my sinuses were blocked. My ears, my forehead, my nose, my mouth. It was just as if my head was about to explode. There was a (laughs) severe pressure on my forehead and behind my eyes. Um, And then the coffin got just, it sounded like a seagull. It was just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then the loss of taste and the loss of smell. Now that was, that came out of the blue. It was one one day to the next, and it was awful. And then the shortness of breath, the shortness of breath was just phenomenal. I was very yeah, sick. Yeah. I was very sick. I was out of work for a good month, a little longer, maybe five weeks, and yeah. then I was uh, going in for about a month after that. I went in for half days, or I didn't do full shifts, and I did fewer shifts during the week. But even now, still. Um, I'm not back up and running fully as I should. Concentration problems and, you know, and still just not fit. In Ireland, every day we get news reports on the news about figures, latest figures, contracted cases, the amount of deaths. So it's quite doom and gloom every day in Ireland and the future. We're talking about lockdowns for maybe another six months to a year. What are the Dutch people and the Dutch government saying about COVID in Holland? If if there's something new to be told about the virus, uh, it's on the news. So like when the British variant starts to come um, into play, when um, a new uh, peak has hit or if new um, regulations are put into place, then it's on the news. But daily numbers uh, on the actual six o'clock news isn't the case. They have different programs yeah, and that's, on telly. I, 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 I'd agree with that. Be- I think it's, it's quite negative to be putting the figures out there every day because then people just want to hear figures and figures and it's well, negative, negative. The actually people can look it up online and it's very clear online and they have great graphs and numbers and it's self-explanatory online so people can look it up if they want to. When do you feel that the lockdowns will stop in Holland? I I, I don't see it happening that by fall this year we'll be out of lockdown. I think it'll be so you're talk, that You're earliest. talking about after the summer? Yeah. After the summer. Earliest. After the summer. One, one of the things I want to talk about because it's a big difference in Ireland and 
and uh, Holland and Ireland have a big difference under soft drug policy. And uh, for the listeners out there, Holland is well known for its coffee shops. And when they talk about coffee shops, they sell coffee, but they also sell hashish and soft drugs. The the thing that I I wanted to ask you about, because I did find it uh, entertaining, I looked at the Dutch government's website and they actually have a policy on COVID for drug users. Now, that's I haven't seen that anywhere else because they said that they say on the website that when people are using drugs, they're more inclined to not stay two metres apart or 1.5 uh, metres well, apart. Listen, listen, you're talking about drugs, but this is also about alcohol. <laughs> I know. No, I know. Talk, this was on the drug policy, the soft drug policy. So I'm just wondering, are the coffee shops open over there for... I? I are they open to, are they doing takeaway hash? Are they doing takeaway <laughs> soft drugs? Are they, because you know, you can get takeaway Actually, Chinese meals or week, whatever. During the week, I, I did think I saw people going, I think I saw people go in there. But I do yeah. know the first I, lockdown, there was a video going around online that they were shutting down at, I think it was like four or five o'clock and the queues outside the coffee shops were tremendous and there were people just handing out their cards. Drug dealers, they were having the time of their handing lives. Handing out their cards. On the black market. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, I find that's a big difference because when we talk about coffee shops in Ireland, we're going for a, a cappuccino or a flat white or an Americano. Yeah, when you go to a coffee shop in Holland, you're going for something a little bit different. A, a little and, bit. And so they're, they're, still, they're still doing takeaway. Still doing takeaway over there, are they? Yeah, because they have, I, the one up the road, I think, even has a, like a little window that you can just place your order and then they shove it out for something. That's your lucky. Businesses have to make a profit. They have to keep going. Yeah. Laura, I, I, um, I appreciate you being on Pricey Talks Real Life today. How are, just before we leave it there, how are things in Holland otherwise? Um, any any news coming from Holland? Is there anything exciting happening over there or is it just all COVID-19? Ah, uh, no, the government collapsed uh, the other day. So uh, <laughs> because of a, a scandal due to healthcare um, or childcare benefits. So uh, that's up and coming now for the next months. There was supposed to be an election here in two months time, but uh, I reckon okay, that'll be so- pushed forward. But these, so it'll all be um, campaigning online. Nobody be able to knock at your door and give you a leaflet. Oh, they, would, they wouldn't do that here anyway. 17 million people to get by. Laura, it's been a pleasure having you on Pricey Talks Real Life today. Thank you very much for your contribution. Thanks for having me. Hartelijk uh, bedankt. And I'll see you next week. Okay, thank you very Laura. Thank you. Okay, see you, Laura. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Laura, thank you very much for your contribution today. Or as they say in Holland, hartstig bedankt for alles. It was echt duidelijk. Dank je wel. So I hope everybody enjoyed it today. It was, uh, I found it very interesting. I hope you did. And tune in next week for episode 10 of Pricey Talks Real Life.